0: Amen. Man, you guys sounded awesome singing. That was cool. All right. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, if you need a Bible, we are going to use them tonight. There should be some in some of the backs of the chairs. If not, there's one or two on that back table back there. We can make sure you get one of those. If you've got a phone, you can use the Bible app on your phone. All kinds of options there. So, I'm going to give you guys a softball. What book have we been studying? Philippians okay I try to make it easy now here we go for those of you for those of you who are maybe new or you haven't been here in a couple weeks anytime we study a book of the Bible I always ask certain questions because it it matters that we know it matters that we know you ready The book that we're studying, it matters that we know who wrote it and why they wrote it and kind of what was going on so that we understand what that author's talking about. So I'm going to ask some questions. If you know the answers, great. Shout it out when I ask them. If you don't know the answers, just listen so that next time you'll be able to shout it out with everybody else. All right. So, the book of Philippians. Who do we believe wrote this book? Paul. And who do we think helped him with it? Timothy, okay. See, I haven't asked that one every week, so there are a couple of you. All right. When do we believe it was written? 61 to 62 AD, so a really long time ago, okay. Who did he write it to? The The church at Philippi. And the church at Philippi was made up of what kind of people? Mostly Gentiles. Absolutely. For those of you that don't know what that means... There, there were Jewish people and Gentile people. Gentile was basically anybody that wasn't born of a Jewish nationality. So there were a couple of people that were Jewish in this church, but for the most part, these are people who weren't born Jewish. They didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up knowing what the Scripture said. So they're kind of learning all of this stuff for the first time. And where do we believe Paul was when he wrote this? Man, y'all... Jail, jail where? Yeah, Rome, okay? Hey, remember... Anytime somebody says, where was Paul when he wrote this book? Nine times out of ten, if you say jail, you're probably going to get it right because Paul got put in prison a lot simply by telling people about Jesus. Because in some places, it was against the law, and they were trying to stomp out Christianity. When, or excuse me, why did Paul write this letter to the church at Philippi? To encourage and to warn. The whole reason behind him writing this letter, remember... Christianity scattered because the church was persecuted. That means people were trying to kill all of the people that believed in Jesus. That's exactly right. Because people scattered, scared for their lives, it actually took Christianity and spread it. So this church is meeting during that time and he's trying to encourage these believers in this church at Philippi to keep Jesus at the center of their lives. He's trying to remind them, in fact, there's one word that he uses over and over. What was it? Joy. How many times? He says the word joy or some form of the word joy 16 times in these four short chapters. So that's an important thing. He's trying to help these believers understand that if you will keep Christ at the center of everything in your life, you will have a joy that nobody can take away. And there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is something that we have when things are going our way, when life feels good. But that goes away very quickly when things aren't going so well. Joy, on the other hand, is something that we can have no matter what happens in our life. Knowing that God's in control, knowing that God, God gives us a peace. Guys, when I had the opportunity to, that, that young man we just prayed for, Kurt and his family, I got to go see him today. And, and when I was talking to him about his mom and about what could happen to his mom, she could go through this surgery and everything could be fine. She could come out of this surgery and she could not make it. She could lose her life to this cancer. And Kurt looked at me and he said, it's going to be fine either way. That's a joy. That's a peace knowing this young man can, can lose his mother to cancer. And he says, it's still going to be okay. Now, he doesn't want that outcome. He's not hoping for that outcome, but that's the kind of joy that, that Paul is trying to get this church to focus on, that if you put Christ at the center of your life, you can have this joy and nothing can take that joy away. So, so far we've walked through the whole first chapter of Philippians. Last week we started on Philippians chapter 2, and does anybody remember what Paul was telling the church to have last week in verses 1 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2? Unity. Unity. He said, hey, if if you are the church, if you say you believe in God, you've put your faith and your trust in Him, then then you all are united in that belief. And he says, you need to have the mind of Christ. And then he goes on to explain what that looks like, how Jesus Christ was God, He was there with God, He was equal to God, and yet He didn't say, hey, that's something I need to hold on to. Instead, He stepped out of eternity and stepped into humanity, and He took on flesh like you and I have. See, God, or Jesus stepped out and he became a servant. He gave his life for every single one of us. He died on a cross. But the beautiful thing is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he stepped out of that tomb, proving he was God in the flesh. 100% man, 100% God. And what Paul told this church is he said, hey, if you can have that mind, if you can think like Christ on a daily basis, moment by moment, then you can have unity in the church. And tonight, what we're going to walk through is we actually start to see how some of that plays out. He says, hey, this is the mindset you're supposed to have. Now, if you're going to have this mindset, here's what you need to do with it. And that's what we see as we pick up in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So I'm going to ask you guys what I always ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's words. And I want you to follow along with me as I read these verses for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore... holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offer of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Pray with me. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together, that we can study your word God, we thank you for what we see here in the book of Philippians, and I I pray that as we walk through this tonight, help us to be changed because we've been in your presence and we've spent time with you. God, help us to have that united mind and and purpose that we can only have together in Christ, and help us to know what that looks like tonight as we walk through this. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the first thing Paul does here is he starts off with this word, therefore, he's referencing back to verses 1 through 11. What we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week or you don't remember what we talked about, I encourage you to go back later tonight and read through those verses. But what Paul's doing here is he's given an instruction. He's saying, okay, now that you know what it means to have the mind of Christ, here's what you need to do. It's kind of like when you're learning to do something the first time and somebody gives you instructions on how to do it, then they say, okay, now it's time to actually do something with the instructions that you've gained. And that's what Paul's doing right here. And he starts there in verse 12, he says, since you understand it, here's what you need to do. And he appears to be confident that they're going to obey him. Because look at what he says there. He says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So from the very beginning there, we see that Paul's got an expectation that that they're going to be obedient to the word of God, which tells us that they've been obedient in the past. There's an expectation. He's he's saying, okay, you've done this before, so I'm not going to be with you. I need you to continue to do this even though I'm not going to be there. It's kind of like this. Does anybody in here have a family member? Like anytime you pull out a game to play that has gone through and read the instructions of the game and you want to make a change to how the game is played and they lose their mind if you try to change how the game is played. Y'all have a family member like that? Some of you are in here thinking, I hate that family member. Some of you are thinking, I am that family member. Okay? Now, let me just confess hey guys let me confess I am that family member uh, miss Kathleen's waiting on me to tell it myself it's like I am that family member because there's an expectation if that's the way it's written that's what you're supposed to do and that that's what Paul's saying here is he's saying hey church you've got the word of God I've told you what the expectation is so just do it Just just be obedient to God's word. And he's confident that they're going to do that because they've shown in the past that they know the word of God to be true and trustworthy. And they're living it out. They follow the word of God as it works through the Holy Spirit in their lives. And Paul is encouraging them, hey, you've done it so far. Keep doing it as you move forward. And then he instructs them in something that sounds a little strange. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want to slow down there for a minute because that can be very confusing if we are not careful. Because that passage right there, that verse, actually looks like it contradicts other things that we find in Scripture. And anytime we see something that looks like a contradiction in Scripture, like God is disagreeing with himself, God doesn't ever do that. There's never a contradiction there. What there is, is there's a problem in our understanding of what God's saying. So there's a couple verses I want to show you real quick. For instance, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we experience salvation only through the work of God, the free gift that He's given us through faith, and it's not done by anything that we can do on our own part. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So those two passages right there tell us and show us that the salvation that we experience, the forgiveness of our sins, come only through God and His grace. And that's it. There's nothing that we can do to work our way to God. A lot of times people think, you know what, I need to get my life right. I need to clean up. I need to stop doing all of these things that I know aren't good things. And then I can go to church and then I can have a relationship with God. But we end up messing it up every single time. It doesn't matter how good we try to be, how rightly we try to think to honor God. At some point, our sin nature is going to cause us to do the wrong thing anyway. So that's why it's important that we understand those verses are telling us right now that that salvation, it's not ours by anything that we do on our own. Every single one of us in this room, we, we are created, you are created by God in His image and uniquely gifted to serve Him and to serve other people the way He's commanded us to. Every single person in this room But the problem is, we all share the same problem, and that's our sin. And we mess it up every single day. And that's why we can't save ourselves. That's why we can't be the solution. See, Scripture tells us that our sin, there's a penalty for it, because our sin separates us from God. Y'all have seen me do this before. There's God and there's sin, and they never connect. God, it keeps us apart. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty that Scripture says is owed for our sin. It says that penalty is death. And that's not just a physical death because we all physically die. Every single person in all of humanity. But it's a spiritual death. It's separation from God forever. But God created us to have a relationship with him. To know his love. To know his mercy. So he sent Jesus to pay the price that was owed for our sin. And Scripture tells us on the cross, Jesus took our penalty, took sin, took that punishment upon Himself. It's like when you get in trouble in school and somebody stands up and they take the punishment that you deserve, only it's way bigger than that. And in doing so, He gave His life. But then three days later, He took His life back up. And He showed that He is God and He beat death and He beat sin and He offers us a relationship with Him. And that is the only way we experience salvation. And that's what those verses tell us. So, so what is Paul talking about here when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? What Paul's talking about is another big S word called sanctification. Salvation is that moment that you are forgiven by God through Jesus Christ And your sin is washed away. You're forgiven. God doesn't see that sin anymore. God sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ, who has taken care of your sin. Paul is talking about your sanctification. That's a process. Salvation, instantaneous. The moment you tell God, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness, I'm going to follow you with my life, instantaneous. Sanctification, it's a process. And it starts in that moment you're saved, and it continues until the day you draw your last breath. Sanctification is you becoming more like Christ. It's you getting up every day and saying, Today, God, I'm going to spend time in your word so that I can know who you are. And as I spend time in your word, I'm going to pursue Jesus Christ. And as I pursue Jesus Christ, my thoughts, my actions, my words are going to start to look a whole lot more like Jesus than me. That's sanctification. That as we press into Christ, He begins to change who we are from the inside out through His Word, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Then we begin to have that desire to pursue Him. And it's God that is the one that is still doing that work. Go back and look at that verse there. I love the way it says this. It says in that verse, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even as you are pursuing Christ, the only reason you have a desire to read God's word and to pursue Christ is because God is giving you that desire. Because He is the one that is drawing you to Himself. Because He is the one that is working in you to change you. It's still nothing that we can do on our own. Because on the days we don't focus on God, let's be honest for a minute. We focus on ourselves and it becomes all about us, doesn't it? God is the one that gives us that desire. There's days where we wake up and you say, You know what, I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. And and we all face that. I just don't feel like spending time with God. And you're right, because on your own, you never will. It's God that gives us that desire. So on the days you say, you know what, I don't feel like it, that's the moment you get to stop and say, God, please give me the desire for it today. And guess what? He will. And you'll begin to read his word, and you'll begin to see who Jesus is, and the young man and the young woman that he's called you to be. And as you do that, God begins to conform you to his image, and your sanctification takes another step. Forward. And all of this, every bit of this, as Paul says right there, God does for His own good pleasure. What that means is everything about our lives is meant to honor and please God. So that when we are following Him, when we are doing the things He's called us to do, God takes joy in that because it brings honor and glory to Him. And that's what our lives are supposed to be about anyway. And then he goes on in verses 12 through 13. Paul has told us now, here's what to do. Now he says, here's how to do it. So look at verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul starts off right there in the verse 14. He says, first off, you need to stop griping and you need to stop arguing. He says, here's what you need to do. Now here's how you actually do it. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Let me stop there and repeat those two words, all things. Do all things. That means everything without grumbling or or complaining. He says, church, stop griping about each other and stop arguing with each other. There's a lot of churches that need to hear that. Sometimes our church needs to hear that because the church is full of messed up people and we bring our own problems into the church and that's when this kind of stuff starts happening. I don't care what church you go to, you will always find some of this because it's filled with sinful people. In fact, actually, I did a Google search because I wanted to know about some, uh, some things that have happened in different churches that have caused problems that people have argued about. You want to hear a couple of them? Listen to this. The first one was, it said a 45-minute heated argument broke out over the type of filing cabinet to purchase for the office. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawer. A church argued over a filing cabinet. Or how about this one? A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of just grape juice. Or this one. (laughs) Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee that the church served. And Some of y'all are like, okay, now, hold on. Here it is. It says, in one of the churches... They stopped serving Folgers and started serving Starbucks. In the other church, they moved to a stronger blend. And in that last church, members left the church because they didn't agree with the coffee choice. Left the church. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You ready? I I really like this one. Some church members left a church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. And it resulted in a major fight. And guys, the church actually split over that. Now listen. Hey, we hear those things and we think, that's stupid. Hey, I've been in churches, guys. I have been in churches where they've argued over the color of the carpet. Listen up hey Paul's words Paul's words are to stop arguing and stop complaining in all things he's saying guys y- y'all got to get along we see those things we hear those things and we think how stupid is that but let's be honest we do the same thing every one of us in this room in church because how about The style of music. Oh, hold on now. Either, yes I am, and I'm going there too. I am willingly stepping on a landmine right now. But listen up. What we tend to do is we tend to think the older people in the church like their songs slower. And they like the old hymns. And that's not really our style, so we don't really like to be a part of that. And the, re- the older people get a bad reputation of saying, you know what, those young people, their music is just too loud. It's too fast. It doesn't honor God. Hold on. Hold your opinions, because that's what we're talking about. But listen to me. The music style really doesn't matter. If it honors God, it honors God. Whether it's slow or fast, whether it's the kind of music you would listen to outside of church or not, if the words honor God, sing the song. Because worship is not about you. Music, when you're singing to God, is not about you, it's not about me. And I'm just as guilty of this. Believe me, I've had my moments when it comes to music style. But it's supposed to honor God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, stop griping about things that don't matter. You're called to honor God. So if what you're doing honors God, then do it. If what, you're not, if what you're doing doesn't honor God, then get rid of it. But he says in all things, stop complaining, stop arguing, because that's what we're called to do. And he gives two great reasons for it. The first one is this. He says, for your own sake as the church. When you are unified in mind, having the mind of Christ in you, when you are unified in purpose, your church is able to maintain a good reputation in your community. People don't look at your church or at your youth group and say, you know what, All they, they don't even like each other. All they do is fight. Can you believe they split over coffee or somebody hiding a vacuum cleaner? And, what's that? Hey, we'll talk about that later. That's a whole different thing. But your your reputation as a church, hey, matters in your community. So when we start griping about each other and we start arguing with each other, it tells the community that we're not even unified in Christ ourselves. Why in the world would they want to be a part of that? And the other reason that he gives them here is he says the first one, that first reason or second reason it's tied to the first. You need to be unified for the sake of others outside the church because they are watching you. Paul pointed out that the Philippians lived among what he called a crooked and twisted generation. That church was called to stand up and serve that community when everyone else was turning away from God. And what Paul is talking about right here is that when people are living for themselves and people are making choices every day to ignore God and turn away from Him, the church Our youth group has the opportunity to stand united with the mind of Christ because we have what the world who is lost and dying needs, and it's the love of Jesus Christ. So when we can be together, it shows people that there's something here, that God has a purpose for this, and it's something that they need. So it's not only for our sake, it's for the sake of the community that we're in. And Paul is almost pleading here. And he goes on and he talks about, hey, I want, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this so that I know that I'm not doing this in vain. He says right there in verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul uses that idea, he says, so that I may be proud, but he's not talking about his own boasting about himself. What Paul is talking about is being able to have joy in the fact that God has used him to do something that he could not have done on his own, to pour into this church. See, guys, Paul wants to know that his life matters. He wants to know that all of the time he has spent in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He wants to know that all of the time that he's spent being persecuted and all of the things that he's gone through have been worth it because this church has made Jesus Christ the focus of their lives. Because that's what they're called to do. He wants to know that everything he has sacrificed for the gospel, for their sake, has been worth it. Guys, that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to be willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel. Look how Paul finishes this out here with the last two verses. Philippians 2.17 Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, for those of you who don't know what it is, a drink offering, that was an offering that was brought about in the Old Testament. Typically, it was wine that was poured on the altar of sacrifice or at the foot of the altar. And most times, it was actually poured out in conjunction with another sacrifice. Whether it was a sacrifice of an animal or some kind of grain, um, it was always paired with it. And and what Paul is saying right here is he's saying that that it looks like his life is going to be poured out as a drink offering. And what that means is he's saying, hey, I'm willing to give you everything I have. I'm willing to lose my life for this for the sake of your faith, for the sake of the offering that you are giving God. The life that you have committed to him, the things that you've said you're going to do to live out what his word says. Paul said, hey, if you're all in, then I'm all in too. And I'm willing to go as far as you're willing to go. Now see, the the cool thing is Paul's willing to go even farther. He's saying, guys, make sure that everything I've done has been worth it. Make sure that there's been a purpose to it. Stay focused on who it is that God has called you to be. He wants to know that his life has been spent and poured out so that the church at Philippi can grow and thrive and be everything that God wants it to be. And Guys, that's the same thing that God wants for us. He, he, he wants our church, he wants our youth group to be everything that he's designed it to be. I've told you guys this before. If you are here, if you are a part of this group, you are not an add-on to what is happening right here. You are here because God has put you here for a purpose. And that purpose is to be a part of the church that he's put together. So I want to ask you guys two questions in closing tonight. We've talked about a lot of things about the church But the church is made up of individuals. It's easy for us to say the church is this, the church is that, but the church is made up of individual men, women, teenagers, children. So let me ask you these two questions. First is this just like Paul said, are you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling tonight? Are you pursuing Christ? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you pressing into Him? I love our time together. I love being able to come together and to do what we do here on a weekly basis. But are you pursuing Christ outside of this building? On your own, reading His Word, seeing who God's called you to be on a daily basis? That's question number one. And question number two is this. Are you ready to stop fighting and grumbling with your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's the harder question. Sometimes it's easy to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to pursue Christ. I'll start on that tomorrow, which you shouldn't. You need to start tonight. But we have a much bigger struggle with, you know what? That person did something to me two years ago in youth group, and I can't forgive them that person said something to me or so and so told me that they said something about me because I did something to them that actually never happened and I'm still mad at them about it. And y'all know that happens. And it happens. I've watched it. I've been here five years now and I've watched it happen in our group over and over. I have watched friendships get destroyed. I have watched relationships where people were like brother and sister in a good way not all the fighting, and I've watched those relationships crumble because people weren't willing to forgive. That's not who God's called us to be. God's called us to pursue Him, to work out our sanctification, to press into Christ, and to have the same mind that Christ had so we can be unified in our purpose. And right now, look at me. There's some side talking. Stop talking for a minute. Are you ready to pursue Christ tonight? Are you ready to quit camping out on the things that you don't like or the people that get on your nerves and to really pursue Christ? Because if we do that individually, this group is going to rock Camden County's world for Christ but it starts with each one of us by ourselves. As God begins to work in us to give us the mind of Christ that brings us together to be a light in a community that is dying in darkness. Are you willing to do that tonight? Most of you in here, some of you have turned them in already, but there's a prayer card in your chair when you came in tonight. And if you're here tonight and you're ready to stop playing the game and ready to actually start pursuing Christ on a daily basis, to press into Him, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the way that Paul describes it, myself and the other leaders, we would like to pray for you. So if you're willing to do that and commit to that, I want to ask you write it down on that card, and when we start to sing, drop it in that basket. If you're here tonight, And you've got a problem with somebody else in this room and you've let it go and you've let it fester. I challenge you to do something about it tonight. Maybe you write it down on that card and ask somebody to pray to change your mind and your heart. Maybe you actually get up and you go talk to that person. There's space upstairs. There's two classrooms in the back. There's place all over here where you can step aside and you can have a conversation and you can start that process of coming back together in unity with the mind of Christ so that God can use us as individuals and as a group in ways that only God can do when we are focused on him together. That is what God has called us to. That is what God has created us for. Let's experience that together. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can study, that we can learn, that we can see who it is you've called us to be, God. And I pray that that as a church, God, as a youth group, God, as individuals, that you will work in us, give us the desire to pursue you, God. Give us the willingness to get over ourselves. And and I say that first and foremost about me. God, to get over ourselves and mend relationships and, and to be focused and having the mind of Christ in us. I was willing to lay down his life and give everything for the people that he loved. God, I pray. I pray that if there's anybody in here tonight, God, that doesn't have a relationship with you. God, that you'll show that to them right now. God, draw them to yourself. God, make it so they can't stay where they are. Beckon them, God, to get down on their knees and to put their faith and trust in you. God, please guide us in following you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.